Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I'm Nicole Abshire. And we are so thankful that you're here with us today. We have a great episode for y'all where we interview Mindy Tackett. Nicole, tell us about Mindy and this new series that we're kicking off. Well, Mindy Tackett, that last name Tackett might sound familiar. She is married to Chris Tackett, who, if you have been listening along, did an amazing job of educating us about how money flows through politics in Texas, and especially how it is funding a very conservative far-right agenda. If you haven't listened to that episode, there's a quick plug. But that is Chris Tackett, and he is married to Mindy Tackett. And she has made it her mission to really bring light and expose Christian nationalism, and especially the effect that it is having on Texas politics. And we learned so, 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 so much from her. And she's kicking off our new series. So if you've been listening along and you have consumed our education series and found something in it that you didn't know before, you've moved on to our election series, well, now join us for this new series that we have decided to title Culture Wars. (laughs) Yes, we've been a little nervous about it, actually, right? Because it's a provocative title, makes people, I think, maybe get a little bit tense. But we kind of want to steer into that so that maybe we can take down that level of tension that people feel and look at it from what we hope is a different point of view, which is, is there something to feel really tense about in these issues? What's real? What's not real? How does it affect policy? Where do we see that play out in Texas politics? So that is what we are taking on. Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot, Nicole, but I think for us, it's about understanding these things for what they really are, challenging our assumptions, removing some blinders and helping just look at this in a new light. Because I think we have so many assumptions about, for Christian nationalism, that's sort of a newer phrase on the scene. I mean, it's been around forever, but I think it's really emerging as something new now. But some of the things we're going to talk on in our series are things that have really just like putting people into a tizzy. And it's like, let's just step back and understand what is the lay of the land. So we hope you'll join us and give us feedback because this is going to be a wrestling process. We're going to like really rumble with these difficult things, but we're going to just go into it and trust that we'll come out on the other end better, smarter, more prepared, and have better language to understand these complicated things. Absolutely. And before we finish off this intro, though, I do want to say a little more about Mindy Tackett, just because she deserves a little bit of our time, which is just to say that what I really deeply admire about Mindy is that she saw something happening in her community. She decided to steer into that and learn. She didn't just make assumptions. She didn't just go based on her feelings. She went on a learning journey and has really steeped herself in so much education about what Christian nationalism means. And so stick with her and listen to this episode. We are 
so impressed with Mindy and Chris. They're both wonderful, but we hope you enjoy our time sitting down and really highlighting her story and her journey and what Christian nationalism is all about. So check this one out. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. We are really excited to dig into some more controversial issues, some more issues of the news that could use some more explaining. And today we're going to be talking about Christian nationalism, which is very much of the moment. And we have Mindy Tackett here to talk with us about this and help explain it a little bit more because it's just one of those things where I think we hear it, but we don't have a grounded definition. So we're really excited for her to share a little bit. So hi, Mindy. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited for this conversation. But before we dig into all of that, we'd like to get to know our guests a little bit more, a little bit about where they come from and their origin story. So can you tell us where did you grow up? Are you from Texas? I am. I actually grew up in a very small town called Toller, which is on the other side of Granbury down in Hood County. I went to school in Granbury because my mother was a teacher in the school district there, but lived on a farm in Toller. And I have been a Texas girl all my life, with the exception of the few years that Chris and I moved away with his career. And then we came back to Texas in 2008. What did your mom teach? She was a high school teacher. She started out with English, speech, theater, and then later in her career, she moved to the junior high level. And then she kind of stuck with the junior high age level until she retired. I also come from a family of teachers. So anybody who's listened to our episodes is hearing it again. So my grandmother taught school and my mom and my aunt and my dad and I did too. So that's just a fun touch point. I have a lot of teachers in my family and my hat's off to everyone who goes into that profession because it's vital and difficult. <laughs> right. And only being made more difficult, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. We appreciate our teachers, our educators so much. We need you. Please stay. We can to make it a good, safe environment. So since this is a political podcast, we also like to know a little bit about your political background. Was this something that you grew up with? Did your family talk about politics? What was that like at the dinner table when you were growing up? Yeah, my family was somewhat open about politics. I wouldn't say that my family was outwardly involved in politics. They weren't running for office, that sort of thing. I was very aware of voting, and it was certainly conversation that I heard within my household. So I've always been aware of politics. I wouldn't say I was overly involved until I was closer to a middle-aged adult, my late 20s to 30s. But it was being conscientious about community and how policy impacts families and decision-making for families. That was something that I was always very aware of in those discussions were definitely had around me and at the dinner table in my family. When you talk about, well, maybe you didn't say it this way. I'm kind of curious. A little bit of an awakening you kind of referenced in maybe your 20s and 30s. Is that what it felt like to you? And was there something in particular that made you kind of spark a deeper interest? Well, I mean, I think once Chris and I had our own children, I think that begins to give you a different perspective at how you look at things and looking towards the future. And what are the choices that I'm making that we are making for our kids going forward? How is that going to impact their future? I believe that that was a big instigator. And then honestly, 
the point in time that I got active along with Chris was when we came back to Texas around 2014. I was still pretty, it was a private thing. I might have a private conversation about politics, but I wasn't outwardly vocal about it. But not until Chris ran for school board in 2014, and we began to see some things in our community really changing, things that seemed off, that were different. And that led us to both become a lot more vocal within our community about this doesn't seem right. What were some of those things that were changing? Chris may have touched on when he did his interview with you guys that when he was serving on the school board, there was a newly elected House member for District 60, which was our district. And I was very aware of the fact that the school board was looking at issues that would benefit kids and would benefit the school district. And when our House member would go to Austin, he was voting the complete opposite. And then in 2015, we had a public library book challenge that was referencing LGBTQ book that was in the children's section at our public library. And I saw some folks from the community show up that to advocate for banning these books, there were people from the faith community, that sort of thing, some pastors and whatnot. And I thought, this just doesn't seem like what I'm used to seeing. Now, I want to say Granbury was always a very conservative county, was always a very conservative area. I would never insinuate otherwise, but we didn't ever see this merging of, uh, or I guess maybe the better way to say it is blurring the lines between church and state sort of thing. And there were some voter engagement events that went on in Hood County that I didn't personally attend those events as they were happening, but I was aware of them. We had Dave Welch come to town, who is with the U.S. Pastor Council, and he was talking to the Chamber of Commerce about during all the bathroom bill controversy and whatnot, advocating for basically discrimination of LGBTQ individuals. Those were some things that we saw happening in our community. It just seemed off. It seemed not normal and not what we would normally see from people in leadership positions. That led us to be more vocal and question some things. That's what I love about y'all's story is that you asked questions and sought answers, or this is my interpretation, right? How you sort of got led down this path. It wasn't just this immediate like response back. It was like, what's happening? And out of curiosity, asking questions that kind of took you to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. Kudos, I think, for asking questions and doing research and discovering what's really happening and trying to demystify and figure out what's going on rather than just sort of a non-educated response, I think is, I just wish we saw that more. (laughs) I can't take credit for coming up with any of, on my own, the knowledge of the language that I have. Um, Chris began digging into the money. I really began digging into the why. Why are people doing this as far as policy and these attacks on, at that point in time, it was the public library, that sort of thing. And it wasn't until I found people like Dr. David Brockman at TCU. I read an article of his. Then we came across Andrew Seidel and Sam Perry, and Andrew Whitehead. There were some experts that we began to find their books and their research. These were folks who were experts on Christian nationalism. And when we 
found this when I began reading these things, it was really a light bulb moment. Like, aha, this is the language to define what we've been seeing happening in our own community. And I'll say it was when we first started talking about it and asking questions and being public with a little bit of our pushback, it was not always comfortable. It's a hard thing to talk about. And Christian nationalism, which is really what we're tackling today, has kind of been a third rail. It's been something that when people hear you talking about religion, they can tend to get defensive because they assume that you're attacking Christianity and that is not the goal, but it is to say Christian nationalism is not threatening to democracy. It's threatening to democracy at a local level and a national level. So that took some time for people to eventually come around to being open to even asking some of those questions or pointing out that this doesn't seem like behavior or action that's okay. It's not little d democratic ways of going about running a city or a county or a state, whatever. I'm curious. It sounds like you saw these things happening in your community, this push to remove some books from the library to discriminate against LGBTQ students. And then you started connecting the dots and tying it back to Christian nationalism. What was that journey like? How did you start putting those pieces together? Was it through finding these authors? And then like, how did you find them? Well, I mean, I first saw the article that Dr. Brockman had written online. I mean, I was just kind of Googling some of the keywords that was seeing at the time, I guess. And it was an Observer article that Dr. Brockman had written. And one thing just kind of led to another. I mean, finding Dr. Brockman led me to finding Sam Perry and Andrew Whitehead, who have been instrumental as being advocates and and fighting back against Christian nationalism and educating about Christian nationalism. And then we read one of Kristen Stewart's books, and we also read Andrew Seidel's book, The Founding Myth. And I would say between Dr. Brockman's initial article and then finding Perry and Whitehead's Taking America Back for God and then reading also The Founding Myth, those were all key pieces of information that gave us the language to understand what we were seeing. And really it was once Chris was looking at the money in Texas politics and finding that, and we realized that the Empower Texans group, Wilkes and Tim Dunn, were behind it. And that's really what led me, part of what led me to Dr. Brockman's article is that he was writing about Wilkes and Dunn and Christian nationalism in Texas politics. And it just all kind of came full circle, like, oh my goodness, this is who is funding our state representative. And this is why we're seeing some of the choices being made by our state representative. And one thing just led to another. As you start to dig in and you start to read, then you realize that this community of experts, they're all pretty tight-knit as far as you can easily read one and find reference to another. And then that just kind of leads you down a rabbit hole to read somebody else's work, somebody else's book. So they're an absolute wealth of information and We're so grateful for the people who have dedicated their careers to doing this work. It's extremely important. Yeah, I love that story. It's reminding me of a personal story I had 
where a charter school was coming to my neighborhood and I just didn't understand anything about charter school. So it was Googling and then finding this person and sending them a tweet and saying, can you tell me what's going on here? And they were like, talk to this person. And eventually that led me to Patty Everett. We did an episode with her about charter schools, but it was that curiosity. Like, I have to know what's going on here that led me to put this bigger picture together. And it sounds like that's what happened with you. And I love it because you're just a parent who's like, this doesn't feel right. Like, what's going on? And then you uncover this big invisible machine that luckily is getting some light finally, it feels like. So let's get into that machinery, that (laughs) that ideology. (laughs) I was going to say, just to assure anybody who's listening, we'll make sure that we have these names in our episode notes and the episode description and the book titles. So you don't have to stop and take notes, anybody. You can just keep listening and we'll make sure that we cite all of that. I also wanted to highlight that um, as I was researching for today, I, of course, ran across Dr. Brockman and he's done so much studying around this and even wrote, you know, this like 50 page paper titled New Study of Christian Nationalism in Texas Should Be a Warning for the Whole Country. So when you start, you'll find Dr. Brockman for sure. I did. And it was really helpful as a really great kind of primer for understanding all of this. So anyway, let's keep going. Yes. So just tell us, what is Christian nationalism? Christian nationalism is a merging of political ideology and religious ideology. It argues that America was founded as a Christian nation, believes that this ideology puts forth that Christianity really deserves privilege and preference, that American laws and policy should reflect a biblical worldview, and that our founding fathers intended for America to be a Christian nation, and that there is not a separation of church and state. That's really a myth. I'm always very careful to say it does not reflect all Christians. It is not representative of Christianity broadly, and it is not representative of all Christians. But it is an ideology that has become very prominent in conservative evangelical Christianity in America. And there is definitely a push in many aspects of American society to impose a particular Christian worldview on everyone through laws and policy. I was doing a little bit of preparation for this interview and curious what other voices were saying about Christian nationalism. And there was this man who wrote a book. I don't remember his name. I'll try to find it. But he was featured on the Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN. And he said, that there is healthy Christian nationalism and unhealthy Christian nationalism. And I had to kind of scratch my head. But anyway, he said healthy Christian nationalism is, I love Jesus and I love my country. And I was like, but is that really what it is? So I feel like there's almost this movement to get in front of it and redefine it so that it is a little bit fuzzier and not what you're saying that it is. So have you heard this like counter narrative coming out? I have. And not only that, but we've just flat out seen some folks who are on the far right spectrum of politics in America, just outwardly embracing the idea. We've seen Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and some of these folks moving to say, I am a Christian nationalist. I'm proud of it. 
and we should be Christian nationalists. You know, that's what being a good American should look like. And there are also people, voices out there that have tried, as you just described, have tried to soften the idea to make it more palatable, to make it something that isn't a bad term, a bad phrase, a bad label. But when it comes down to it at the end of the day, trying to impose one particular religious ideology and interpretation, because the fact of the matter is not all Christians agree with the ideas put forth within the Christian nationalist ideology, trying to impose one particular interpretation on all Americans is not democratic. You know, little d doesn't represent American democracy. It is dangerous. It is a threat to our democracy. And we've seen this happen in other countries. And I think we're definitely at a tipping point where people, when they're voting, are making a choice about what our future is going to look like in this country. Yeah. I started reading The Flag and the Cross based on Chris's recommendation. And I love that they, Gorski and Perry, give such great nuggets to really hold on to. And so one of the things that really stuck in my head was how they differentiate between patriotism and nationalism, that patriotism would be defined as a love of country and is animated by love, whereas nationalism is allegiance to a tribe and is animated by hatred. There's a really big difference there. So I feel like people like you were describing, Claire, like their goal is to make it seem like really benign and it's just about loving the Lord and loving your country. But unfortunately, that's not really at the heart of Christian nationalism. It just can't be. I'm also so struck by this idea of a complete ignoring of the Constitution and the First Amendment. Like it couldn't be more clear in my mind, granted what the founding fathers intended, right? Which is first amendment, a separation between church and state. So it's interesting to me that if that doesn't fit your worldview, you just simply say, nope, that's actually not what they intended. Maybe that's what they wrote, but that's actually just not what they intended. It's just such a convenient ignoring of what is actually present in a document which I also think is like so emblematic of how Christian nationalism works and actually a lot of things that are happening in the country right now. If you don't like the evidence or the writings or the actual empirical evidence, you just simply ignore it. There's like, there's no grounding in reality that is particularly disturbing. Well, and I mean, the truth of the matter is you have someone like David Barton, who's been on the forefront of forwarding the idea of Christian nationalism, championing Christian nationalism in America. And he's made an entire career out of just falsifying American history, right? I mean, his book, the publisher was like, we're not going to put this out because it's just so blatantly incorrect. But at the same time, he was at the head of the Texas Republican Party. He was influencing Texas textbooks in 2010. And so it has just for a lot of years been an acceptable thing within Christian nationalist circles that, yes, you can just fabricate history and tell whatever version suits your ideology. And unfortunately, there have been enough people who are willing to listen and believe 
those things. And I think when we got to 2016, unfortunately, I think we're all aware the doors were kind of open for a lot of these ideas and the bigotry and the othering that tends to happen within the Christian nationalist thought process or ideology that it just kind of blew the door open for people to openly say the things that maybe they were thinking, but never said out loud. And so I think Trump getting elected, he was a vehicle for Christian nationalism to really take off and flourish in the United States. What would you say are the goals ultimately of Christian nationalism? I know it sounds like some of them is to fabricate history and tell a different story than what really is a story of America and our founding. What else are they trying to do? I think we have to go a step further when we're talking about Christian nationalism and the goals. When we think about what we're seeing reflected right now in our politics, whether it's state or national and Supreme Court and all those things that have been kind of brow raising, we have to go a step further and talk about seven mountains dominionism. And that gets into an even more touchy, like, what? This sounds crazy. It's so fringe. Seven Mountains Dominionism is an idea that once seven pillars of society are taken over by evangelical Christians, very conservative evangelical Christians, Christian nationalists, that's how you take a nation. And God will return once Christians have taken these seven pillars or mountains, if you will, of society. They're church, government, family, education, media, arts, and entertainment, and business. And when we look at what we've seen happening within, we'll just stick with Texas for the moment, right? Whether it's the attacks on public education, which have been relentless the last year or so, especially. We see the attacks on the LGBTQ community. That's the family mountain, that marriage is only one man and one woman. And the definition, the legal definition of marriage should reflect uh, this Christian definition of what is acceptable as marriage. When we see policy, government policy reflecting, an example would be that in God We Trust bill that we recently saw this last session instructing schools to put up these In God We Trust posters if they're donated and meet certain criteria. So we can't just talk about Christian nationalism without looking at that additional level of Seven Mountains Dominionism and the goals of you take a nation when you've taken these seven pillars of society. And again, when we look at what we've seen happening in policy and the othering of folks in our communities and the attacks on things like voting rights, book banning, it all fits into the seven mountains goal. And I think that ultimately is the goal for these folks who are hardliners, who are pushing this ideology behind the scenes with their money and their influence. It is about power and it is about having control But the ultimate goal of that power and control is to control the different levels or levers, I guess you would say, of society so that Christian nationalist slash dominionist ideals are imposed on everyone. 
Well, and as we relate this to Texas, I wanted to circle back a little bit to the Bartons because you brought up David Barton and they run wall builders. Well, if anybody wanted to look that up, it is, I mean, I guess you would call it an organization. As Mindy was talking about, David Barton wrote a text about how to, well, he just essentially rewrote history. And as Mindy talked about, discussed how the founding fathers did actually intend for the U.S. to be a Christian nation. And so the wall builders provide the basis for all of the things that Mindy is talking about. So if you go to their website, for instance, they have all these different areas that they talk about their goals in all of these areas. And on their website, it's so clearly the Seven Mountains Dominionism behind it. And I'm sure that is actually explicitly there somewhere. But if you look at all the areas that they intend to influence, they fit right into these. And it's maybe just a teensy bit more disguised and also provide the framework. So if you, for instance, were maybe a local candidate who wants to run as a trustee for your local ISD, you could use a lot of the resources that you would find on the Wall Builders website to justify why you're doing what you're doing and explain it to people. I mean, it's a really interesting model of how to empower people to use Christian nationalism to make their agenda be in the forefront. I hope I explained that well. He's Texas-based, which is why this is, is so important to bring up the wall builders. And you probably know this, Mindy, but I stumbled across that because we're tying this back to Ferris Wilkes. And I know that the Wilkes brothers are such a huge part of this. And Ferris Wilkes gave $3 million to the wall builders, right? So when we're talking about money and how well-funded so many of these efforts are, there it is. Yeah. The Empower Texan Circle, specifically the Wilkes brothers, have funded quite a few of these Christian nationalist, I'd call it propaganda outlets, whether it's wall builders, whether it's Blaze TV, Glenn Beck's outfit, they've helped fund that. They've helped fund Prager University, if people are aware of that. It targets young people online and frame themselves as it's Prager University, but it's nothing more than these online posts that are Christian nationalist infused to target young people and hook them into believing these alternative narratives that just aren't, frankly aren't true. So yes, it's very important to understand that this stuff is very, very well funded, millions and millions of dollars and by billionaires. I think we're specifically focusing on Texas, but when you look at it nationally too, you have the DeVos family, you have the Cokes who have given money towards some of these groups that have taken very hardline Christian nationalist tangent on policy, have influenced the Supreme Court. So both nationally and at a state level here in Texas, it is very well-funded and a lot of it is very behind the scenes and discreet, and it's hard to see. And that's intentional. And that's part of what has made it so difficult for the general public to understand what they're seeing and hearing and to decipher the untruths that are being presented to them as being untruths. 
Yeah. Something I wanted to touch on really quickly is we've referenced a few times Empowered Texans. And for those who don't know, that's a PAC, a political action committee. So what some people do is when they donate to candidates, they don't give directly. They give to a PAC and then the PAC gives that money to the candidate. So in this case, you have these ultra billionaires who do give directly at times, but who also give to the PAC and then the PAC gives them money. So you don't see such a strong direct connection between that particular donor and the candidate. And that's another way of them making it a little less clear how they're controlling the narrative and controlling these candidates and their agendas. So just want to state that because it took me a while to catch on what was happening with Empowered Texans because you hear that on its surface and you're like, Empowered Texans, that sounds great. It's like, actually, it's not what you think it is. (laughs) Right. And that's part of it. They do choose language and they choose phrases and labels that sound on their face. Well, yes, we would all support that. We would want to do those things, but you have to dig into the ideology that these folks are pushing to understand No, no, this doesn't reflect a pluralistic society. This doesn't reflect democracy in America. Right, which makes me think back to that CBN video interview I saw where they were saying Christian nationalism is I love Jesus, I love my country. Very innocuous, like, yeah, that sounds great. But at its core, it's not that. It's something a lot more, I would say, rotten and not democratic and harmful to us as a nation, but you have to dig so deep to really understand what the ultimate goal is, which is what you're saying, Mindy, is power and control. And really the people in power and control are these billionaires who have such an outside voice to us average voters and how unfair that is. And I think at the end of the day, we do still care collectively about fairness. And this is a very unfair system. And in some cases, a very harmful system to some individuals. So we have to be on guard and really understand what we're dealing with here because they're so good at confusing us. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. And that is the intention. Catch people off guard. And look, the fact of the matter is we're all busy raising our families, living our lives, going to work. And a lot of people aren't hyper political. They're not digging in underneath the surface of what's happening in politics. It's not that they're not paying attention at all, but people are busy, understandably so, And so when it's framed in a certain way, again, things that seem not harmful at all on their face with the labels, whatever the group names or how how some of these ideas and ambitions are framed, they know that they're catching people off guard and that people are willing to support and vote for things that they don't realize they're supporting and and voting for. An example of that, I would say, is Project Blitz when we talk about the In God We Trust bill. Project Blitz was created and put forward by the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation, which David Barton is a part of, Wall Builders is a part of. And Project Blitz is a playbook that was uncovered really by Frederick Clarkson, among quite a few other Christian nationalists, experts on Christian nationalism. And it is a pre-written policy playbook where all a legislator has to do or their staff has to do is copy and paste. Well, when you look at the End God We Trust bill that Brian Hughes put forth in Texas, and you look at the Project Blitz model policy that was written, it's verbatim. You can hold them up side by side. And it's the same thing. And a lot of people will look at that and say, 
Well, but it was created as our national motto. That's our national motto. There's nothing wrong with that. But the entire agenda and intention of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation is to push Christian nationalism into our public spaces, into public schools. We saw the court case Kennedy v. Bremerton and the prayer that the Supreme Court, prayer in public schools that the Supreme Court just heard and voted in favor of breaking down that wall between separation of church and state. These kinds of issues are definitely, again, groups like the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. They are working to frame it in a way that legislators might vote for it, and they don't even know exactly what they're voting for or where it's coming from. Now, I'm not going to say Brian Hughes didn't know. I don't know whether he knew or not, but he definitely is a person who has Christian nationalist tendencies and intentions when you look at the policy that he has supported and put forth. But Project Blitz kind of starts out very soft with some of the policy that they have written. And it is a 50-state initiative. So there were states that kind of jumped on the, the bandwagon for this ahead of Texas. But the intention is to push these policies nationally. And some legislators in some states will vote for these things not knowing what it is they're voting for or where the language for that policy slash law even came from or who's behind it. Yeah, I'm glad you circled back to that in God We Trust Bill because on its surface, it feels kind of, again, like, well, like I believe in God and most of us do in America and whatever. What's the big deal? But it's like you're saying this rewriting of history almost that we are indeed a Christian nation when that wasn't the intention at the founding. And it makes me think a lot about the Confederate monuments debate that's going on right now. A lot of these monuments were put up years after the Civil War, and it was this attempt to rewrite history and to create heroes out of these Confederate people who were trying to create a whole new nation. I mean, they were not fighting for the United States by any means, but they were so effective at getting people on board. And now there's this reaction of, well, we can't take these down because they're part of our heritage and our history. It's like, actually, they're not. Like, this came later. And it's hard because then you have to do the work to reteach history. And it, I can see that happening here. And that's alarming. It is. And when we talk about the ungodly trust, whose God are we talking about? I mean, are we talking about someone who is Muslim or someone who is Hindu or is this specifically Christian? And, you know, we know the implication is generally it's specifically Christian. So there's a lot of people who think, well, it's on our money, so there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. But just like with the monuments, In God We Trust was not a motto at the founding of America. And it was something that we all know, well, some of us know came along later. And it is not representative of where our country began. And it is not representative of the separation of church and state. I feel like that's so important to highlight also, right, is that all of this is about an erosion of the things that we've long held as just the basic tenets of America, which is that we do have a separation of church and state, but you just start to pick away at that bit by bit in little ways in symbology, like we're talking about just seeing in God we trust around us, so that it gets to a point where 
we've moved so far down that path that then if we try to correct, self-correct, it's a whole new bigger battle because now that seems like the norm. When, if you know anything about the history of our founding, the norm is the separation of church and state. We don't establish religion, and this is establishing religion, right? It's just, it's a complete misunderstanding, disinformation campaign about what we actually were (laughs) founded on, these really, really basic principles. You know, Chris talks a lot about, points out a lot about the movement of the Overton window. So if your listeners are familiar with the Overton window, it's kind of like a middle point that we most all of us agree, like, yeah, this is reasonable. And every time something really extreme is proposed, right, then when that we kind of start here in the middle with what we all think is reasonable, and then there's this other idea that's just outside of that, and people go, well, no, that's going too far. But then if you go way to the other end of it, the other end of the spectrum, and you get way out on that fringe and you start suggesting just really radical, wild ideas, well, then it's easier to get people to land back at that spot that was just outside of what was normal and everybody agreed was pretty acceptable. You know, so every time more extreme legislation or more extreme ideology is put out there, we move people further and further away from where we had started. And so we're moving the Overton window. And that I think is what we've seen from the far right is we just see things continuing to be pushed further and further to the extremes on what we're even discussing and talking about. I mean, my goodness, we're at a point that we're talking about librarians and teachers providing pornography for children. And that is just absolutely absurd. And it's all a very coordinated effort to break public education and pass vouchers, which has been a key goal within the Christian nationalist movement. It's that education mountain that we talked about earlier. And so we have gotten to a point that we're saying Well, our librarians and our teachers may be providing pornography or things that are illicit to our kids. Therefore, we need to take these books out of the library. And five years ago, we would not have entertained the idea of we're removing, we're we're trampling on First Amendment rights. And here we are at a point where there's a lot of people who are saying, yeah, I guess we have to do that. And it's just a bizarre place to be. So with public education, would you say that the goal is to privatize it so that students are learning from this Christian nationalist narrative? Or is it just some children are learning that and the rest, sorry, if you can't afford an education? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out what they're doing. Well, I think it's a two-pronged effort. Number one, well, let me say this. The idea of vouchers and privatizing education really started back with uh, Board B. Brown. So it is rooted in a component of racism, and there's just no getting around that. But we are still dealing with that, and we are kind of coming around full circle. It is a two-pronged effort in my view. Number one, they want to impose or inject 
a conservative Christian worldview into public schools, whether it's prayer in school, how many times do we hear people like Rafael Cruz lamenting that we removed prayer in school? And that's when I think his words were, America went to hell in a handbasket. He's done a whole bit on that. We see the in God we trust signs that we just got through talking about being put into schools. So there is the desire to have a specific version of conservative Christianity injected into public schools. And then the other prong of that is to divert public money away from public schools and into private religious schools or charters. And there are people like Tim Dunn who run private religious schools and it benefits them to number one, it advances the ideology they're wanting advanced and they're sure to have kids that they want to be in those schools and those schools. And number two, they're able to make a profit off of it. And when we look at voucher money or school choice, education savings accounts, however people want to label that, we hear all those buzzwords. In the end, the reality is that poor children usually children that are coming from, in larger proportions, the kids who were left out are coming from minority and disadvantaged families. Because the idea in Texas has been, it's like $7,500 or whatever that amount is. And anybody who has researched private school in any capacity knows $7,500 is not going to pay your way into a private school And there's a lot of families that even if they had the tuition money, there's not transportation. You may be dealing with families whose parents work a couple of different jobs, that sort of thing. They may be in a rural environment where there's not an option of a private school to go to. And so we end up siphoning money out of the public school setting, which serves all children. Public schools have to serve every kid, no matter what their socioeconomic economic background is, what their demographics are, what kind of learning challenges they might have. It siphons money away from public schools who serve all children, and it diverts that money to private schools that can pick and choose what kids they want to accept. And it tends to be a more white conservative Christian population is the reality. And in the end also gives a financial break to the people. They're essentially getting a tax credit if they get a $7,500 voucher when they were already sending. They could already afford to send their kid to public school or I mean to private school. So it breaks the back of public schools. So it's really, it's a two-pronged thing. It's to inject conservative Christianity into public schools And it is to divert money into a private charter school space where the people who are promoting Christian nationalism stand to benefit. Something I've been thinking about, and this is what really worries me about this particular ideology or just these extremist views, is that, like you were saying, people like Rafael Cruz will say, the reason our nation is so messed up is because we're pluralistic and we embrace these policies that are inclusive. So his alternative is this system of government that really it's us versus them. It's not inclusive. It's exclusionary. And that is the sort of system that actually is going to have the same result as his world is what he's saying is going to happen. 
And it's like, it's never enough. Like we'll never do enough to get to this godly world. I don't know if I'm making sense, but it just seems like doesn't work. Like diversity makes us empathetic, not what they're in favor of. Eventually, you're just going to keep giving over more and more control, but it'll never be enough because their system will never equal the system that they say it's going to equal, which is godly and great and all of that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, what I have seen is oftentimes the idea is, well, it's okay for people from other faith traditions to be there. They don't get the same privilege as conservative Christian. There's a right kind of Christianity. And that right kind of Christianity, number one equals good. And that should be informing and leading us as a nation. So it's very exclusionary in that sense. And when we talk about public education, especially this last year, but they've really, we think about the bathroom bills and the transgender athlete legislation and the anti-CRT legislation, it's very determined in othering people, that there's a right kind of thought and kids shouldn't be exposed to or be learning or have access to any other wrong kind of thought. And especially the attack, the LGBTQ community has just There's no light of day between the attacks on the LGBTQ community and the attacks on public education. They are creating this narrative of fear. And I said in a tweet this morning, they're bludgeoning public schools with this fear that they're creating about the LGBTQ community, this frenzy of, oh my gosh, these horrible things are happening in our school And it puts LGBTQ students in grave danger, honestly. It's already a dangerous landscape for them anyway. And they're a much more vulnerable population as far as how they feel about themselves and acceptance and community support. And this just amplifies and intensifies the dangerous spot that they're put into And then layer on top of that, it's making people afraid of what's happening in public schools. And it's all complete nonsense. It's just complete nonsense. So yes, the idea of othering and excluding people, that there's a right way of thinking, that is a key component to the goals that Christian nationalists have. Yeah, it's really fascinating how closed it is. I just keep picturing this closed circle, like everything leads back to what they believe to be true and right. And there just is no questioning. There's no evidence. There is nothing that moves that needle at all. And it's such a like an entrenched way of looking at everything that always just leads back to them, right? They are the inheritors of what is supposed to be. They are the powerful who are meant to have the power they are the right way to be, the right way to live, the right way to think. It's like everything just circles back to the same ideology and the same folks. And that is inherently right undemocratic because democracy means that multiple thoughts and people and populations are represented. So it just is like, it's really frightening, yet so important that we shine a light here. And one of the things that I would like for us to talk about next, Mindy, and I know that we're going to start to wrap up soon, but just for people to have 
kind of their antenna up? Like what is kind of the language maybe that sounds benign, but we know kind of underneath the surface that that's actually Christian nationalism kind of language. I would just love for people to have a sense of when you hear this, know that it kind of means that. I think when we talk about public schools, when we're thinking about that realm, this idea of we've heard the phrase education, not indoctrination. We've heard this phrase about or this notion that our kids are being indoctrinated. That's a Christian nationalist buzz phrase, if you will. I think when we consider the saying the separation of church and state is a myth, that when people try to explain it away, that it wasn't really meant for it to be a two-way street, that it's just a one-way street, that the government needs to stay out of the church, but it doesn't work. It was never intended to be the other way around. When we think about things like school choice, parents have always had choice. That is a buzzword for vouchers and to harm public ed. So I think the things that have been in the news recently, it's really focusing on this idea of indoctrination, choice, parents' rights, parental rights need to be, you know, we've heard Ron DeSantis push on that a lot, that there should be a parental bill of rights. Parents have always had rights with their kids. I Think about the whole library book banning situation. And when our school district was doing that this last year, that was one of the things we said to them. It's already in your policy that we have choice. I've always had the right as a parent to go and decide to say to the school, I want my child exposed to this or I don't. I want my kid to have the opportunity to read this book or I would like for you to make this selection of titles unavailable to my student, right? I don't want them to read that. I've always had that choice. I don't have that power to decide for other families. And that is where we're seeing the problem. We have people who have decided, no, my interpretation and my view and what my moral compass says should apply to everyone in the school. And we've always had parental choice. So those are some of the buzzwords, I think, that have been at the forefront lately that when people hear it, it should make the hair on the back of their head stand up. Thank you. (laughs) That was Mm -hmm. really important. Yes, I really appreciate you saying that. And the thing that makes my antenna go up a little bit as we're talking about this ideology of Christian nationalism is the fact that it's funded by billionaires, like we were talking about Ferris Wilkes, Tim Dunn, Betsy DeVos, the Koch brothers. Just so funny. Like I grew up in an evangelical Christian church and the messages I heard were, we want to be very fearful and mindful of this love of money because that can very much corrupt you. And yet we have these people who have insane amounts of money, and yet they're the ones telling us what is and isn't Christian. And that alone, I think, should put people's antennas up. Like, be careful who is giving you this message and what their real intentions are. Maybe they truly do believe this and think that they're being Christian stewards, but is it that and greed? I mean, who knows? But that alone makes me wonder what their real motivations are. If it's protecting themselves and their wealth and their power, that's not read your Bibles, folks, is all I guess I'm going to say. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the Wilkes have said they do believe that the money that they have come into was divinely inspired. They believe that God specifically chose them to have the money to forward this ideology. It sounds crazy and it sounds fringy, but it is where we are and it is pretty frightening. 
And it is so important for people to understand who's behind. Always be questioning. Like Chris has said, follow the money. A lot of people have said, follow the money. Always be looking at who is creating and providing the messaging that you're hearing. Absolutely. Any final thoughts, Nicole, before we move on to something maybe a little lighter? (laughs) Yeah, just one more, which is that if you recommended kind of one source, if somebody's like, okay, okay, let me learn more, what would you recommend? Is there a specific book, a podcast, an article? Like, what do you think if somebody, if you recommended one thing, where would you tell them to start? I have to say it's two. Okay. And the two are the ones that the two books that I had mentioned earlier in our conversation, The Founding Myth by Andrew Seidel and Taking America Back for God by Andrew Whitehead and Sam Perry. There are so many others that I could tell you, but I think the combination of those two books are really invaluable to there's data for the people who respond better, or it makes more sense to them if they can see it broken down in data. That's in Perry and Whitehead's book. And then Andrew Seidel really digs into the story behind things and the why. And I think those two books are just invaluable to give people a roadmap to how we've gotten to where we are and what it is we're seeing. I love that. We like to ask why. Why? Why is this what they're telling us? (laughs) I know I'm going to listen to this a couple of times (laughs) because this information, it's vast and it's deep and it's fascinating and it's important for people to have an awareness of because like we said in the beginning, it is becoming part of the political discourse. I mean, you're hearing Christian nationalism a whole lot more now than I was a couple of years ago. So it's coming into the mainstream. That's definitely happening. But we'll transition into the end of our show where we like to mention something that has our attention. This can be like a movie you saw, an article, another book, anything along those lines that you'd like to share with our listeners and you just can't get out of your head. So does anything come to mind for you, Mindy or Nicole? Are we talking about pertaining to specifically Christian nationalism or something else? It can, or it can be like, okay, when I've had too much of this, I go watch that show. (laughs) Well, of course, I mean, I am always excited about anything, the recent British stuff. So I'm a big fan of the Great British Bake Off, I think it's called. And I love the crown. I'm one of those people that loves the crown. But something that is I think timely and is not light watching at all, but is fabulous as Chris and I started Ken Burns' new documentary on the Holocaust. And I think it is absolutely must watch TV. It is just so informative and it just really gives so many clues to some of the history that we seem to be repeating at the moment. But yeah, for light stuff, I like the Brits. (laughs) (laughs) great senses of humor right awesome okay well i'll mention something that did come to mind as we were having this conversation it's a book that i read not that long ago but it's very much in this realm and it's called white too long the legacy of white supremacy in american christianity by robert p jones And this book was so informative to me because I didn't really understand the history of white supremacy in American Christianity. I went to Wheaton College, which is like the Harvard of Christian schools. And we even have a Billy Graham museum there talking about Christianity in America. And they did not really talk about how complicit Christianity was with white supremacy and slavery. And I read this and it made so much sense on how so many white evangelicals voted for Trump and are sort of primed for this 
ideology, I think it's such an important part of the conversation to have as we're reckoning with how sadly Christianity has for too long been okay with supporting uh, white supremacy and how we need to really rectify that and be honest with our history. So that was a great one if you want some more more knowledge on this topic. That is a wonderful book. Okay, well, I'm going to steer us out of this serious <laughs> territory. <laughs> I shockingly have started watching Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> I have never been into it before, but I have started watching it. And of course, I'm going to confess because one of the most recent Bachelorettes is a contestant. And so that made me just want to continue with her. But having watched it, the people that are on this season, the celebrities, there's such a great variety. There's Shangela, who is a famous drag queen, who was on- Love Shangela. I think she was on All Stars eventually. And then there's Daniel Durant, who is a deaf celebrity who was in CODA. And so it is incredible that he is dancing without being able to hear the music. And CODA was a wonderful movie. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, I haven't even seen it. So I feel inspired. Be sure to watch that too. Yes. Okay, there we go, right? There are just these incredible folks that are on. So I've been really drawn into it and never thought that I would be. So Dancing with the Stars. Oh, thanks, Nicole. Yeah, same. I don't really keep up with it, but maybe I'll have to turn it on. It's so light and your kids would love it. Yeah, that's true. They'd probably get a kick out of it. Yeah. One of the family show, like in my house, it's like Coco Melon and Ninja Turtles. Like this could be a nice change. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mindy, for sharing this information with us. This is such a big topic and I feel like we just scratched the surface, but luckily we have all these great books and resources. So if people want to learn more, they can keep digging and educate themselves and understand what's really going on here? Because it sounds like there's a lot of dog whistles and you just don't really realize how deep it goes and just follow your curiosity and see what you can learn. That's the thing. It is a big, cumbersome topic with a lot of moving parts and people should not feel bad that they haven't understood it or they didn't see it and just always feel empowered to keep asking questions and keep digging and look to these experts. They have offered such a wealth of information to help all of us regular Joe public people and be confident in knowing that the whole intention is for it to have a lot of moving parts that are hard to wrap your arms around. But if we're all paying attention and we're all translating that to being very intentional with our vote, we have the opportunity to make a difference for what our future looks like. Exactly. Perfect message of hope. Thanks, Mindy. Yes. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.